knuckle up, cut your dusted bus pass in half, taught at the gutter butter you studied gubnets. Welcome to the Blind Boy Podcast. This episode is about life. It's episode 120, you cunts. And each week, you know, I'm always trying to think of a, a theme for the podcast, you know. Um, if this is your first podcast, go back to some of the earlier ones, will you? For the crack. There's many, many episodes. But each week I try and think of a theme. And I don't put too much effort into it. What I've found over the years, uh, when it comes to anything creative, you know, you can't, you can't force it. You can, you can approach it in a, in a professional fashion, and you know, allocate yourself some time for creativity. But if you become too regimental about it, if you're too hard on yourself about it, if you're trying to create, right? And creativity, whether it be making a fucking podcast or writing a song or painting a picture, whatever the fuck, right? If you, if you take it too seriously, if you identify with it too much, if the stakes are too high, if you if you invest in your creativity to the point that failure becomes frightening, then creativity becomes difficult. And it becomes stressful. And it becomes not fun. And I did many years of that before I realised. Creativity is about having crack. No matter what it is you're creating. You must allow. Freedom. Fun. Chaos. Chance. And lightheartedness Into your process. No matter what it's about. You must allow these things in. Or you won't free your mind up to the place where good ideas come from so you know this week I'm pottering along thinking about what the fuck would this week's podcast be about and I decided I want to talk about about Buddhism now I've touched on Buddhism before but it's Buddhism is something that I'm certainly not calling myself a Buddhist but as a philosophy Right, not necessarily as a religion, of which there's many different sects of Buddhism. As a philosophy, I do enjoy Buddhism. It makes me feel very good. It gives me a great sense of meaning. So I decided I'd like this week's podcast to be about Buddhism. So I was doing my research, reading up, refreshing my mind. And it was starting to stress me out. I was thinking... I know the podcast is going to be about Buddhism, but I can't think of a hot take. I can't think of kind of a unique approach to tackle Buddhism that makes it democratised and engaging and listenable and enjoyable for ye. Because I don't want to just do a, an explainer of Buddhism. Sure, anyone can fucking do that. That's no crack. I need my hot take. And the hot take wasn't happening. So usually what I do, because from experience, as I said, I know, if I'm engaged in a creative activity and ideas aren't happening and then I start to catastrophize or get stressed or worry about 
fuck it, what if I don't have a good idea? What if I don't have an engaging podcast, right? When I start getting into that frame of mind, I know I'm in trouble. So what I do in that situation is, I feed the unconscious mind. What I do is, I say to myself, right now, you're thinking, you're writing, but it's stressing you out. So what do you do? You do something that's unrelated to your work, that you enjoy, and that's pleasurable. That's what I do. It's what I always do. Because, and it can be anything. It can be fucking going for a walk, playing video games, making a nice dinner, whatever the fuck. Something that's unrelated to my work. And I know from experience, if I do this, if I chill out and engage myself in something I truly enjoy, then my mind relaxes to the point whereby creativity will come so I did that this week and I made a decision I said fuck it I'm going to sit down on the TV now and I'm going to turn on Netflix even though I'm supposed to be writing I'm going to turn on Netflix and see what what the crack is and forget about the podcast so I did and lo and behold I chill out And the hot take arrives to me because I turned on, I was flicking through Netflix and I seen a film called Groundhog Day, which is a film I've seen loads of times over the years, but I haven't watched it in about maybe 10 years. It's from 1993, but it came up on my Netflix and I said to myself, Groundhog Day, haven't seen that in a while. Nice kind of feel good, nostalgic film. I'll turn it on. And as I turned on Groundhog Day and watched it, because I'd spent the day kind of researching and thinking about Buddhism, suddenly Groundhog Day revealed itself to me. I'm like, fuck, this film is about Buddhism. Groundhog Day is about Buddhism. And I'd seen this film loads of times and it just revealed it clear as day. I'm like, holy fuck, this film is about Buddhism. Started rubbing my hands together, saying to myself, I know what the fucking podcast is going to be about next week. I'm so happy. I started thinking about... There's another podcast I did there about six months ago. Um, what was the name of it? What it was about, and it was probably one of my most popular podcasts... If I'm listening to feedback from ye, probably one of my most popular podcasts last year. Um, it was about the film Big with Tom Hanks, where I made I had a hot take where I made the case that Tom Hanks's film Big is the most accurate sci-fi film to predict 2019, and I made that case. The podcast was called Rectum Pen Pals. The name has nothing to do with the content. But, I don't know, rectum pen pals sounds nice, don't know what it means, but it has some nice visual imagery to it. And I tend not to name my podcasts about the subject matter, which, I don't know, I don't know why the fuck I do that. Probably because I'm angry, it's an anger at working in television or working for fucking any type of media where they make me name things stupid names that I hate instead of uh, nice poetic names so I named the podcasts 
names that sound nice even though they're not do you know what I name the podcast I name podcasts names that I'd like to give albums or bands like my ideal job would be to work work in an office and name bands like groups of young people come in and say we've got a band what 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 should we call our band call yourselves the Bannister Princes call yourselves the, the bare chest kestrels call yourselves the rectum pen pals that's my ideal job so that's why I name podcast that way but it makes it difficult to find out which podcast I was talking about and what subject matter was but I digress rectum pen pals is about how big is predicts the future how it predicts 2019 so when I was watching Groundhog Day and realising Groundhog Day is about Buddhism I just felt this lovely sense of relief. I was like, brilliant. I can't wait now to do this fucking podcast where I get to speak about Groundhog Day and use it to explain Buddhism. So happy. But then, do you know when, uh, do you ever be be just minding your own business, right? And you're thinking of a problem and then a solution arrives into your head. And you realise you've invented something. You realise that you've just come up with an invention that has solved a common problem. Like years ago, I was looking at my phone. I was looking at maps on my phone or whatever. It's about eight or nine years ago. And I said to myself, wow, what if I looked at the map on my phone and it told me if there was a taxi nearby and I didn't have to ring up a taxi anymore. I just saw a taxi on the map. And I pressed it. And it came and collected me. And I spent, I'd say, the next half hour. Existentially filleting myself. Because I was so happy. That I've invented this idea. That's going to solve so many problems. You know. No one likes ringing up a fucking taxi rank. Their phone lines were always shit. It's like brilliant now you can just take out your phone you can look at a map of where you are and there's all the taxis all around you and you click on a taxi and it arrives i was like fucking hell wow i can make this into a business holy moly and then i found out there was an there was an app called uber which fucking did the same thing so i'd what i'm trying to get to is that i didn't i'd independently invented uber spent a half hour thinking that I had invented Uber and then found out that Uber existed and was crushed but I refused to I had a strange angry entitlement it wasn't like ah fuck it someone else thought of the idea I was like no fuck you I thought of it right I know you've thought of it whoever the fuck thought of Uber across all the way across the world but I thought of it I didn't steal your idea I thought of it independently. You just patented it first. So internally, I refused to give it up. I refused to... I was still taking credit for it. Now, I'd never say it out loud. Well, I am now on a fucking podcast to a million people. But, like, I refused to... Um, I was like, nah, it's mine. I thought of it. Don't care. I thought of it. I'm not going to turn it into a business. It's not going to make me massively successful but I thought of fucking Uber so do you know what about that happens it happens to everyone and and it's a particularly bitter irony for me because 
Uber's corporate, European corporate headquarters are in Limerick. So I have to walk past Uber's corporate headquarters any time I'm inside in town. And there it is. Using Ireland as a fucking giant tax dodge to, to launder all its money. And if I'd have thought of fucking Uber and went ahead with it, I'd probably be more ethical. Uber have redefined what work is. Fucking over their drivers, you know. Maybe I'd have had a more ethical model, a bit more fairer. Something that just makes things more convenient for the consumer, but doesn't necessarily take jobs away from the drivers. Or, or what, what do they do? I think Deliveroo do it as well. Class them as actually self-employed, uh, so they don't have to give them workers' rights. Could be wrong. Bit of a disclaimer there, in case anyone wants to sue me. Could be wrong with that. But uh, so, th- what's the point I'm trying to make? So when I was watching Groundhog Day and I had the epiphany of fuck, Groundhog Day is actually Buddhism. I thought it was my idea for about a half an hour and I was thrilled. Then I typed it into the internet to be sure and no it wasn't. Other people have made the connection that Groundhog Day is quite similar to Buddhism or there's Buddhist themes behind it. So I'm saying that because... I don't want you thinking I stole someone's hot take. I didn't. I independently arrived at this hot take myself, but so have other people. And I'm not nicking someone's hot take. So, firstly, what 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 is it? What things about Buddhism do I enjoy? That, that I consider important that I apply in my daily life. There's quite a lot, but there's th- three main things that I always draw upon within Buddhism. And they're not just present in Buddhism, they're, they're present in a lot of psychotherapy. Like a lot of, of cognitive behavioural therapy. A lot of, not transaction analysis, but like the existential psychology or Carl Rogers' psych- uh, psychotherapeutic theories. A lot of them are quite similar to Buddhism. So the three things that I take on a, on a daily basis from Buddhism to improve my life and improve my day are suffering and pain are an inevitable part of being alive. If you exist as a human being, you're going to be disappointed. People are going to hurt you. People are going to reject you. You're going to have days where you don't feel good about yourself. You're going to get your heart broken. Someone you deeply care about is going to die. Tragedy is going to strike your life. Extreme pain and suffering is a given of being alive. And you can't avoid it so that's one thing that I take from Buddhism that I remind myself of every single day pain is part of being alive the other thing that I take from Buddhism is that unhappiness in my life occurs when I try to avoid discomfort or frustration when something is 
when something happens that I don't like, suffering. When I try and deny that it's happening or distract from that it's happening, not even suffering something that's frustrating, when I deny it and try and fight it, it makes me unhappy. So what I do instead is, if it's something I can't change, I sit with it. What it can often be is... Like if it's something in the physical world, like if, if, if I don't know, if I put my fucking hand on something hot, then obviously I'm not going to leave my hand on the hot thing, I'm going to move it away. I'm talking more about emotions. If anxiety, if I'm in a situation and anxiety comes up, or insecurity comes up, if I feel insecure, or I feel that my self-esteem is low, I don't fight it, because when you fight it, a defence mechanism comes in. If I... If I fight feelings of insecurity, what will happen is I'll overcompensate by behaving in a way that's superior or behaving in a way that's arrogant because inside I feel small. So you fight it by behaving big. But all that does is it, it, it causes people around you to be upset or then not nice to be around. So instead, I try and recognise a feeling of insecurity or low self-esteem or anxiety and I sit with it I let it exist and I sit with it so that's one another thing I take from Buddhism and the third thing I take from Buddhism is understanding that happiness happiness isn't a goal happiness there's all these things we do in our daily lives, right? Where we're what we're actually doing is we're searching for happiness. When when you kind of say to yourself, "I I will be happy when," you know, if I if I if I leave Limerick and I move to Dublin. I will be happy if I move to Dublin. If I leave Ireland, if I if I move to London, I will be happy. Or if if I stop the job that I'm doing now and I get a new job, I will be happy. If people do it with relationships, I will be happy if I break up with this person. I will be happy. If I am single, I will be happy. I will be happy if I'm with this other person. We trick and confuse ourselves every every day into resisting things in our lives under the false impression that impression that happiness will will come. If if I succeed in this thing, if I get this job, I will be happy. It doesn't exist. That's actual bullshit. If you've ever done... Like, how many times... Success is a big one. Success is is, is a... Like, I always thought... You know, when I was... Doing art at the, at the start, when I was a teenager... And I, wa- I wanted to... Create art, we'll say, that people enjoyed... Or become a professional artist. I used to always think... Jesus, I'll, I'll be so happy... When I start making YouTube videos... And they get loads of views... Or when I wanted to be on television. 
I used to think, fuck it, I'll be so happy. I used to fantasise about getting comedy sketches on RTE and having them on television and genuinely thinking, fuck it, when that happens, everything will be perfect and I'll be so happy. How could I not be? Life will be perfect. And then when it happens, when I actually end up achieving a goal and doing something that I, I thought I wanted, it's momentarily pleasurable, but it doesn't bring happiness. I'm not free of discomfort and stress and insecurity and unhappiness. And when you do the thing that you think makes you happy and then you find out it doesn't give you happiness, that's depressing. And you feel empty and lacking meaning. But Buddhism teaches you that that's just an illusion. There's no such thing as the grass is greener on the other side when you when you reach the grass when you reach that green grass that's on the other side once you get there all that's left is another field with greener grass still so we're continually chasing this illusion of fucking happiness that doesn't exist it's like chasing a fucking rainbow if you try and chase a rainbow, it looks beautiful and you think you can see the end point. But when you get there, the rainbow changes because it's a fucking illusion. All it is is, is a refraction of light in, in some water droplets. The rainbow isn't real. And our society is, is founded upon this illusion right now. How many of you, if you're, you know, if you've got a few extra quid and you're in work on your lunch break... You go onto Amazon or you go onto a site that has clothes that you want and you just buy shit for the sake of it. You just buy the shoes, you just buy the jumper, you buy the fucking the whiskey rocks on Amazon, whatever the fuck. Continually clicking and buying and consuming. Not even, to be honest, not even buying. Just being in a shop looking at things. What you're searching for is actual happiness, but then you get a little dopamine hit from purchasing it, and then you're left with the meaninglessness. Unless it's something you really need, but often it's not. You just continually consume these little things, and they're just little bubbles of happiness that you think you get, and as soon as you buy it, it bursts, and you're left with meaningless, uh, a meaninglessness. And our society is, is successfully hinges upon that. That's consumerism. Consumerism is when the system can continually sell us things we don't need and we buy them because what you're looking for is happiness, but it's never-ending. That's consumerism. And we all do it, and I do it. I try and keep an eye on, on how much I fucking do it, but if I'm not in the present moment, that's what I'll do. So Buddhism teaches that you can't have happiness as a goal. Instead, and happiness doesn't really... Like, okay, let's just say you're in a shit situation, you're unhappy with your job. If you, if you, right now you're in a job and you don't like it and it's not giving you enough money or you're in a situation where your rent is too high and this is causing you a lot of stress and you can say to yourself... 
right now my rent is so high that it's incredibly stressful and there's a lot of discomfort and if I move somewhere like if you move back home and there's no rent and you say to yourself I'll be happy then yes you're removing a problem you're removing a source of stress and a source of discomfort but once you do that it's only momentary pleasure it won't actually bring what you what you think is happiness happiness doesn't really exist what you have instead is um two things meaning and contentment what for me happiness is meaning right if you're doing something in the present moment that has a sense of meaning in that it, it truly engages you and it's kind of wholesome and it makes you feel warm that's happiness and happiness happiness can only exist in the now you can have happy memories of what's happened before or you can have happy hopes for the future but ultimately what we interpret as happiness is actually a sense of meaning which has to occur in the present moment and it's as simple as that and happiness usually comes from not an end point but the journey if your journey has meaning then that's what you kind of experience as happiness and when you think back to times when you were happy it's probably a time when you felt a sense of meaning that meaning could have been you were engaged in something that truly resonated with who you are as a person or you were with someone who you compassionately love and they compassionately love you and you get meaning from that relationship but that's another thing that Buddhism teaches of it's one of the three things I take from Buddhism that you can't chase happiness that's an illusion what you can have is meaning in the present moment that's the best you can hope for the present moment and if you can make your present moment meaningful then you'd have what we describe as a happy life so those are the three things suffering is inevitable you're not getting away from suffering what we would describe as as discomfort happens when we don't sit with it sit with the suffering if it's emotional suffering learn to sitting with suffering what does that mean it means to notice that it exists it's it's like just letting it's 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 like you're lying on a fucking river and you just let the current take you you just you just let life take you where it needs to be and you notice calmly that you're feeling anxiety you're feeling anger you're feeling insecurity you're feeling jealousy all of these emotions that are unpleasant instead of denying them or fighting them you go this is what I'm dealing with right now and I'm going to try and sit through it and if I react to it or if I deny it then it starts to influence my behaviour cognitive behavioural therapy CBT that I talk about 
that's an example of, of mindfully in the present moment understanding and recognising negative emotions and rationally and calmly going this is what they are I'm not going to react to them and I'm going to calmly challenge them and think of alternatives and then the third thing like I said happiness isn't a, isn't a destination it's, it's finding meaning in the journey so those are the bits of Buddhism that I take into my everyday life so where does this take us with the film Groundhog Day from 1993? So there's going to be spoilers if you haven't seen Groundhog Day. I'm gonna there's going to be spoilers. It came out in 1993. All right, it's not like I'm fucking ruining a film that's in the cinema at the moment. It's it's just to let you know there's going to be spoilers. Groundhog Day is. It's spiritually quite similar to the. Tom Hanks film Big they both exist alongside each other in that for mainstream blockbuster comedy films that did brilliantly in the cinema and that have not only done brilliantly but have become part of popular culture they both stand beautifully as examples of of, uh, pop culture that are actually quite fucking profound they're quite profound and they're kind of parables almost, you know. They're philosophical in a way that you don't expect mainstream family comedy cinema to be. Groundhog Day, I really see it rooted. It, it For me, it's a very... It's a film that's almost in the Irish tradition of existential surrealism. It's very similar to the work of uh, Samuel Beckett. There's a Waiting for Godot vibe off it. And also quite similar to the the Irish writer Flann O'Brien. In particular his, his um, book The Third Policeman. And what Groundhog Day is. Is I suppose you'd, if, if, if I had to call it a genre I'd call it magical realism. If it was a piece of literature it'd be called magical realism. In that. It's comedic and it's it's realistic and it happens in the real world, but there's the influence of some type of supernatural magic that isn't fully apparent, but it's never really explained either. It stars Bill Murray, who's a gas cunt, and it was written by a fella. Who the fuck was it written by? Something Robin, but it was directed by Harold Ramis, right? And who who played Egon in Ghostbusters. Bill Murray was in Ghostbusters as well. And Harold Ramis directed and I think kind of co-wrote or at least screen-wrote Groundhog Day. Initially Tom Hanks was supposed to play the role of Bill Murray. Which I'm guessing they would have pitched Tom Hanks because... Like I said, Groundhog Day is similar to Big. They're both feel-good American comedies that happen in kind of small-town suburban America with a supernatural vibe and a parable nature to them. They are quite similar films. For some reason, Tom Hanks wasn't used. They used Bill Murray instead. I don't know how I feel about it. I Actually, the excuse that was used was Tom Hanks is too nice. 
like Tom Hanks I, lo- I love Tom Hanks as an actor he's a feel good actor I can't imagine Tom Hanks playing a prick like he tried to play a prick there's a film called Road to Perdition where Tom Hanks plays a 1920s gangster and it's like sorry Tom sorry Tom you're too sound what are you doing with that Tommy gun do you know what I mean so they chose Bill Murray instead because the character that Bill Murray plays in Groundhog Day is an asshole He's a prick, and Bill Murray's brilliant at playing a dry asshole. So, before I get into detail, in a nutshell, what is Groundhog Day about? It is about an unhappy, grumpy man who is forced to live the same day over and over again. And only he is aware of this. It's the exact same day over and over again, and he's trapped within this loop of the exact same day Groundhog Day Um, so right now I'm going to do the Ocarina pause because it's what are we half an hour into the podcast so we're going to do the Ocarina pause now where an advert is inserted into the podcast by Acast and when the advert comes on actually you can you can mindfully notice that it's there and reflect upon I don't know what the advert is going to be it could be fucking anything but you can reflect upon how if the advert works do you feel is it working because you think you're going to get happiness by this product or service do you know what I mean that's how it operates so here's the ocarina There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com weight loss. That's PlushCare.com weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That was the ocarina pause with an advert for bullshit. This podcast is supported by you the listener um, I put this podcast out for free it takes several days work and it's my job this is my job to do this but I operated on a kind of a model <clears throat> a model that's based on kind of kindness and soundness whereby I put this podcast out there's a, like a million listeners give or take most of you listen for free, which is fine. But if you really want to, you can support me in making this podcast, support me financially, so that 
I can earn a living so that my job and what pays my bills like basically what the Patreon does for me is it allows me to live my life with meaning that's it where do I get meaning from I'm a creative person I like writing making art doing this podcast that gives me meaning being able to pay my fucking pay my bills and for my my income to come from my creativity there you go what more could I want so the Patreon allows that to happen patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast if you feel like it if you want to you can give me the price of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month and that goes towards me having a wage and making this podcast and if you can't afford it you can listen for free and then if you can't afford it you can give me that that money and you're paying for someone else who can't afford it to listen so it is a model that's based on suggestion and niceness and kindness and you get the vibe do you know what I mean and it works brilliantly it works fucking fantastically I cannot complain about it I have a regular source of fucking income and I can plan and everything I need because of the Patreon and because of the patrons who give money every month and the reason I keep pushing it is people come and go so you gotta you gotta, gotta continually hustle with it so if you like the podcast and you want to give me the price of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month you can patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast alright you can also fucking recommend the podcast to a friend if you're listening to it on Apple uh, podcasts rate the podcast leave a review subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you're using that shit helps and I have a few live gigs coming up as well the one main ones I want to plug Ennis I'm in Glore Theatre in Ennis I think at the end of February um, I've also got a UK tour type this into fucking Google Blind Boy 2020 UK live podcast tour I'm in Australia very soon in like a week Australia's almost sold out but there are tickets left for Auckland and New Zealand and for Melbourne and Sydney I believe there's there's down to the last like 100 tickets so that's the crack alright I've probably forgotten one but there you go fuck it so what is Groundhog Day about so Bill Murray plays a character by the name of Phil Conner Phil Connors who is he's a weatherman on a shitty kind of TV channel a small local TV channel uh, Bill Murray plays a weatherman and one day he is tasked with a small crew to go to a small town in Pennsylvania where they celebrate this thing called Groundhog Day and Groundhog Day is a real thing in America it's a kind of a weird little tradition I think it comes from Germany where on February 2nd which is coming up soon actually um, but on February 2nd what happens is there's this little tree trunk where a groundhog lives inside a groundhog is like a little cute beaver like creature so what happens is the tradition goes that they have this ceremony and this is a real thing that happens in America in small town America where the groundhog emerges 
from this tree trunk because they're hibernating for the winter. That's it. The groundhog hibernates for the winter. So on February 2nd, the groundhog comes out and if the weather is clear, right, if there's sun, so if it's like one of those clear days where there's bright sun and it's cold, if the groundhog emerges and sees its shadow because the sun create casts the groundhog shadow, if the groundhog sees its shadow, then winter is going to last for another six weeks. But if the groundhog emerges and it's overcast and he doesn't see his shadow, then spring is going to come early. And this is a tradition that traces back to fucking Germany and Yanks celebrate it. I'd love to see right now how climate change is affecting it. I'd be very interested to find out because I guarantee you it is. Because in Ireland I know that toads and frogs, there was toads and frogs emerging from hibernation last week. And they've no business doing that because temperatures are increasing. Again, I digress. So anyway, the first irony that I find beautiful is when you're when a film is dealing with uh, existentialism, because that's what this is about. When it, existentialism being loose themes of existence, what it means to exist, and a modern, a kind of a absurdity. The absurdity of being alive is a tenet of modernist existentialism. I mentioned before I see a lot of Samuel Beckett in the film, the Groundhog in Groundhog Day, the film. And the festival of Groundhog Day is fucking absurd. Phil Connors, Bill Murray, has to go to this tiny little town, which is like, I don't know, Leitrim or Longford. And he has utter contempt for this town. And they have this shitty little festival where they worship a fucking rat. And it's utterly absurd. But Phil Connors, who's arrogant and thinks he's brilliant because he's a weatherman on local news. The groundhog, this little furry rat that comes out of a fucking log, is also a weatherman. So you have a beautiful yin and yang dichotomy right there where they're both reflected in each other this little this ritual of this little rat coming out of a fucking log and predicting what the weather is going to be that's the exact same as Bill Murray's character so it reflects the meaningless absurdity and theatrics of Bill Murray's job as a weatherman which he takes pride in and thinks he's class for being a fucking weatherman and he's arrogant about. But ultimately, who is he to look down on this groundhog? Who is he to look down on the small townspeople for celebrating the groundhog when Bill Murray himself is just a theatrical groundhog who tries to predict what the weather's going to be like for six mo- for the next six weeks? They're the same thing. One of them has humidity, the groundhog, because he's just a little furry animal. And one of them has his head up his arse. Bill Murray, the fucking human weatherman. So it's worth noting that Groundhog Day is one of the most creative and novel ideas in script writing and filmmaking that exists. You can't copy it because the idea is so original that any attempt to copy it would just make people go, that's like Groundhog Day. People people have tried to do it loads. Like that film, uh, Liar Liar, with fucking Jim Carrey in the late 90s, kind of like a Groundhog Day clone, 
Truman Show to an extent. Little bit of Groundhog Day going on. Definitely an inspiration. Ricky Gervais had a film where he, he can't lie or something like that or he has to tell the truth. All kind of Groundhog Day clones where the central character is given kind of um, this great awareness, this very painful awareness about reality. So what happens is there's very clever devices used in the film. So Bill Murray and a cameraman, can't think of the actor's name, but he plays one of the baddies in Home Alone. And then his producer, played by Andy McDowell, the two of them accompany Bill Murray to this small town in Pennsylvania, and Bill Murray's been a prick. And it starts off with Bill Murray in this tiny little guest house. The and this is lovely too because it, it's it's a cliche and a trope within filmmaking to start a film or a scene with an alarm clock. That's a cliche within filmmaking, and it's something that people, if you look at student filmmakers always see someone who starts off their film with an alarm clock at the start of the day it's it's a cliche but Groundhog Day because the idea of it is so complex they have to use cliche as part of the script writing because we need something very very relatable we need a very familiar and relatable scaffolding if a film is to be as creative as it is so it starts off 6am the alarm clock goes off a song plays I Got You Babe by Shunny and Shur which we all know and you have radio announcers and Bill Murray starts off the day he gets out of his shitty hotel he has a conversation with someone downstairs he goes out into the street he meets someone the person knows him from years ago and he's a bit of a dose and he says hello to Bill Murray Bill Murray doesn't have time for him and then he steps into a puddle and then Bill Murray is doing his job as a news reporter reporting on the Groundhog Day Festival and not enjoying it. Then he's sick and tired of being in the fucking place. He's done the news report. He's been rude to his co-workers and he just wants to get the fuck out of Pennsylvania and return home. But he can't because when he tries, a blizzard is coming and now he's stuck in the town. So he goes to bed that night and he wakes up the next morning and what happens? Alarm clock, six o'clock, the song Sonny and Sure I Got You Babe plays and the exact same radio announcer makes the same announcement. He goes downstairs, he leaves, he meets the same person he met the day before and he slowly starts to realise he is now trapped in some type of supernatural time loop where he's living the exact same day over and over again and only he is aware of it and he slowly starts to realise this one thing that's worth noting about Groundhog Day 2 is I used to think it was just a metaphor for like it's a, it's highly relatable because if you have it especially if you like work in a fucking office or something right if you have a daily routine because your 9 to 5 job dictates it where you get up at the exact same time every day you get on the exact same train you get on every day on your train are the same people you see every day 
You get into work, you see the same faces, you're in the same office, you leave at the exact same time, you return home. Even though your days are different, the strict routine of capitalism and wage slavery means that you're effectively living the exact same day over and over in a loop where you're not authentically living with meaning. You're living in a meaningless routine that was invented in the Industrial Revolution and that's most people's lives. And Groundhog Day is very relatable because even though he's literally reliving the same day every day, metaphorically it works as an allegory for what most people have as their everyday fucking life just to survive. Jobs that don't have meaning, working in an office, not necessarily being happy, why are you doing it? Because you need to pay your rent and you need to live. And it works as an allegory for that. It's also, and I think, there's a definitely an existential trend in the film. There's a French philosopher, an existential philosopher called Albert Camus, who would have been... I think he was influential on Beckett. I'm not sure who was first. I'd say Camus was first. But there's a Greek myth about a cunt called Sisyphus, right? Sisyphus existed in Greek mythology as... he. I think he was punished by the gods where he had to push a rock up a hill every single day. And that was the fate that Sisyphus was given. A very painful and monotonous daily task that never ended where he's pushing a rock up a hill. And Albert Camus has an essay called The Myth of Sisyphus where he uses the Greek story of Sisyphus as an analysis for the meaninglessness of the modern life and the modern trap of repetition that all of us get when we have a meaningless existence and a meaningless job. And Camus deals with this in the myth of Sisyphus and I reckon that's an influence on Groundhog Day. Camus, of course, would have been interested in Buddhism. And Camus as well, he's one of those philosophers, Camus and Nietzsche, they were quite popular with, we'll say, American college students in the 50s and 60s. They would have been kind of standard reading that if you were a hipster or you weren't any, any way intellectual as a Yank in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you read Nietzsche and you read Camus. And I reckon Danny Rubin, the writer of Groundhog Day, was definitely bringing a bit of Albert Camus, Myth of, Sith- Myth of Sisyphus, into the writing. So, I want to take it back now to a little bit of Buddhism. So, with Groundhog Day, the first opening 20 minutes, Bill Murray's character, he's arrogant, he's indulgent, he's rude, he doesn't have a lot of time for people, he's not pleasant to be around, he has an inflated sense of self because of his job, he thinks he's great as being a weatherman, but it's fundamentally absurd and a little bit pathetic. And he slowly realises now it's like when the second, when the first day whereby it's like, oh shit, today is exactly like yesterday. It's not like that repetition where it feels like yesterday. It's like, no, 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 no. Today is yesterday. Number one, it's Groundhog Day because that's crucial. Groundhog Day is one day a year. But he wakes up the next morning. It's Groundhog Day. 
the same song comes on the radio the same announcement he goes downstairs in, in the uh, bed and breakfast the lady that he meets says the same thing to him he goes out onto the street he meets the same fella who's annoying and who recognises him from years ago and he steps into the same puddle so he's quite clear now that it's like fuck I'm living in some weird loop of time and only I can see it so in Buddhism one of the tenets of Buddhism there's a thing in Buddhism called the Four Noble Truths and in short the Four Noble Truths are life is suffering right life is to, to exist means to suffer suffering exists because of attachment attachment being this desire we have to think that we can make pleasure last forever think thinking that you know once you have happiness that you must continually chase happiness rather than instead of recognizing that suffering exists you ignore suffering and try and chase happiness whether that be through eating through uh, fucking sex through desire whatever the fuck the other noble truth is suffering can be diminished like Yes, suffering is in an inevitable part of being alive, but a huge amount of suffering that we experience, we don't really have to experience it. Again, that goes back to the CBT thing. Um, I cannot control what happens to me in my life, but I can control how I react to it. So a huge amount of the suffering that we experience, like, people aren't dying all around you every single day. In exceptional circumstances, yes, obviously, but the vast majority of suffering that we experience on a day-to-day level, it's usually worrying about worrying about shit that happened before and worrying about shit that might happen. Completely avoidable things. So a lot of the suffering that we experience can be diminished. That's one of the noble truths. And the fourth noble truth is that there is a way to diminish your suffering and this way is called the eightfold path and the eightfold path is i don't want to be facetious about it but like to make it really simple the eightfold path is and and this isn't fair but to make it really simple and understandable the eightfold path is the buddhist equivalent of the ten commandments it's not the same but it's the easiest way to simply contextualize it and what makes Groundhog Day so... When I was sitting down watching the fucking thing... I've got a squeaky prick of a chair now. Excuse the squeaky prick of a chair. But when I was sitting down watching Groundhog Day on Netflix... And like I said, I knew I was doing a podcast on Buddhism... So I'd refreshed all this stuff. I'd refreshed the Four Noble Truths... And I'd refreshed myself on the Eightfold Path and all this... So when I was watching Groundhog Day, I realised how the plot unfolds is Bill Murray's character, Phil Connors, basically does the opposite of the Eightfold Path. That's how the the journey of this film unfolds, because... It's a difficult one. It's a fucking hard... It's a hard film to write because it doesn't follow a traditional plot. Well, it does, actually. Basic storytelling, three-act structure. 
set up conflict resolution. So it does that, but it does it in, in an incredibly creative way. And what I started to notice is that Bill Murray's character basically takes the eightfold path of Buddhism, but does the opposite to each one. So when it comes to like the third or fourth day where Bill Murray realises that he is living in a loop and that he's literally reliving Groundhog Day in this town every single day so no matter what the fuck he does he wakes up at six in the morning, six in the morning every single day and everything that has happened the day before happens and he starts to predict it. So now he's getting up in the morning and he knows what the woman downstairs is going to say to him in the morning and he has an answer prepared. He knows that when he reaches a certain point in the street, the fella, the annoying fella who we knew from years ago, is going to approach him. He knows now that there's a puddle at a certain step and he's able to avoid it. And he starts to... take advantage of this new kind of power that he has this power of existing almost out like he's forced to live in the monotony of it but he starts to give in to all the to desire and anger and take advantage of this situation so a clever thing they use in the film is each day Bill Murray goes to a cafe for breakfast and he meets the character of Andy McDowell and they have a chat. And each day that Bill Murray is reliving the loop of Groundhog Day, his breakfasts become more and more extravagant. Obviously he's starting off with a sense of moderation. He feels the when he when his life isn't in a loop, he's only eating a small breakfast that's not decadent. But by about day five, he's got twenty pancakes in front of him, he's eating ice cream for breakfast, he's eating all these ridiculous, irresponsible, indulgent foods, doesn't care who's looking. Because he knows it has no consequence now. Now he's... Because tomorrow he's just going to wake up at 6am again. And relive the same day. So he starts indulging first in... Simple pleasures. The things that we think bring us happiness. What causes us to... Absolutely overindulge and overeat. The attachment to happiness. The idea that if you stuff your face with a load of fucking ice cream... It will bring you a momentary release of fucking endorphins because it's tasty. But you might get sick as well. Or it might impact your health in the long run. He doesn't give a fuck. So now he's eating a lot of ice cream for breakfast. Another thing he starts doing is... He's not... He starts being really rude to people. He starts being... like He's already not a nice person. But you can tell that even though he's not a nice person, he still puts up a facade of niceness to people because it has consequences. But now he's essentially living in a loop with zero consequences. So he starts being incredibly rude to people. When 
the lad, you know, he gets up in the morning and he meets that lad who he knows from years ago who's a bit of a dose. Instead of saying hello, now he punches him straight into the face because there's no consequences. He's living in a loop. One of the points on the Eightfold Path of uh, Buddhism is called right action. That to be a Buddhist you must live your life by right action. And that means you avoid harming other people, you avoid taking what isn't yours, you avoid harmful speech, you avoid irresponsible sex, you avoid drugs and alcohol. So Bill Murray at the start of Groundhog Day when he starts getting maybe 12, 13 days into it even more he's breaking all of those rules he's harming people he's stealing things because there's no consequences he's using harmful speech he's hurting people's feelings and he starts off manipulating women into sex like one scene he sees a woman sitting in the cafe who he fancies he walks up to her asks her a lot of personal details about her life says what school did you hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Go to what was your teacher? What's your name? All these personal details. Knowing that he's going to relive the same day tomorrow and chat her up using these details that he has about her as a way to make her think that he's really interested in her or more interested. Or he's trying to pretend that he's someone who knows her from her past to initiate conversation and then have sex with her. So he is using his ability to live in a loop of the past to manipulate women into sex. At one point, he just figures, fuck it, I'm going to do something that I would never, ever do, ever. He robs the groundhog, he robs a car, and goes on a mad car chase all around the town with the police chasing him because he knows he lives a looped existence with zero consequences. Eventually what starts to happen is he really, really wants to ride Andy McDowell's character. And he starts to get to know her and chat her up. And he tries to start to learn things about her. And he uses each looped day over and over to try and take her on a date. And it's like he gets an opportunity for a million dates with her to repeat. And, you know, if he made a mistake this night, he takes a note of it and can fix it the next night. But it never works. He's never able to successfully trick or manipulate Andy McDowell's character into riding him and I think I suppose the writers are using her as an example of uh, would you call it purity not purity integrity her character has intelligence and depth and depth of character 
and integrity and most importantly she can see through his bullshit and no matter how many times he relives Groundhog Day she sees through his fucking bullshit and every time he gets to take her on a date it ends with her slapping him in the face so eventually as you get more and more into the film Bill Murray's character the kind of self-destructive fun that he was having at the start we'll say the first 60 or 70 groundhog days that he's experienced he tries to find pleasure in riding loads of women manipulating them into bed he tries to find pleasure in eating as much food as he wants he tries to find pleasure and happiness in reckless behaviour and thrill seeking and robbing cars and doing what he wishes all of these strong impulsive desires which are ultimately really really selfish they don't bring him happiness or meaning and he's still stuck in the loop each day even though he can do whatever the fuck he wants He has the power to do whatever he wants with zero consequences. And he has the power and ability to indulge in literally any one of the senses. And it brings him deep unhappiness. And this then ties back to the story of the the Buddha himself. The actual story of the Buddha, which Buddhism is founded on. Buddha was a really rich prince whose parents brought him up in an environment where they never wanted him to see the horrors and the ugliness of the world okay so in the story of buddha he was born into a load of money and his parents were like don't let him outside the castle because we don't want him to see that suffering exists we don't want him to see poor people we don't want him to see someone dying we don't want any of this just give him pleasure 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 so the young buddha basically lived in a palace where could eat anything he wants could do whatever he wants and had non-stop and in what would you call them concubines loads and loads of women whose only job was to sexually service him so the young buddha lived this life dedicated solely and utterly to fucking pleasure and this is what bill murray's character does when he's reliving this loop pleasure pleasure thrill seeking selfish indulgement attachment to pleasure then what happens at the midpoint in the film he starts to get incredibly upset and empty and now wants to end groundhog day so he starts trying to take his own life he goes up into a bath and tries to take a bath with a toaster to electrocute himself doesn't work he wakes up the next day again at six o'clock with groundhog day happening again He tries to jump off a clock tower. Same thing. He tries to jump in front of a car. So now he can't even take his own life. To escape the hell and meaningless repetition of Groundhog Day. He's tried it all. He's tried overindulgence. It doesn't bring him meaning or happiness. It doesn't escape the loop. He's tried to take his own life. Not even that can let him escape the loop. So eventually what he ends up turning to is noticing that within the town and the loop that he's living in suffering is existing 
there are people who are, there, you know, there's a child who falls off a tree and breaks his leg. There's an old man down an alleyway who dies. There's a man in a fucking restaurant who chokes to death on a piece of steak. This is what happens in the town on Groundhog Day and Bill Murray starts to notice it and realise it. Now, within the story of Buddha, Buddha escapes the castle where he has all the food, all the sex, all the pleasure. He escapes the castle and goes into the town. And when he's in the town, the Buddha sees a poor person, which he's never seen before. He sees a sick person, which he's never seen before. And he sees a dead person. And he sees those three things and realises for the first time in his life that suffering is a part of existence and is inescapable. Same shit happens with fucking Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. He notices that suffering exists in the town on Groundhog Day. So it's estimated that within the film of Groundhog Day, he relives that day for the equivalent of about 40 years. So that's a lot of days that he relives in this continual loop. So it gets to the point that instead of indulging, now he decides he's going to take piano lessons. So each day on Groundhog Day, he goes and learns the piano because he is aware that it's... So he's able to develop, even though the world is just continually on a loop. He starts uh, learning piano. He starts learning Italian. He starts learning how to sculpt these aesthetic practices which are about the mind and the soul and meaning. When you play a musical instrument, when you engage with something aesthetic, you're feeding your soul. That's meaning. There's meaning within creativity. When you feed your mind with a new language, it's, it's very selfless. You're engaging with ideas thinking about things outside yourself that isn't about just pure pleasure it's about meaning and then inevitably he starts helping people he goes to the restaurant every single day when the man is about to choke on his steak and he stops the man choking and saves his life and everyone claps and says fair play to you but he doesn't even give a shit what he cares about is that he has stopped suffering for someone that day He's saved someone. When the child falls out of the tree every day, he's there to catch the child every day, to help him so the child doesn't break his leg. And the child runs away and never says thank you each time every single day. And then there's one bit which I think is... This is the pure fucking... What I see it as the Buddha's journey. There's a homeless man, an old homeless man down an alleyway. And... He goes to the homeless man, you know, he offers him money or he brings him to a restaurant to feed him. But each time the homeless man dies down an alleyway. So no matter how much Phil Connors tries to feed this homeless man, tries to give him shelter, tries to give him money, he dies every single time. And that, I think, has to be a deliberate callback to the Buddha when the Buddha's on his journey outside the castle walls, when he realises death exists. That even if Phil Connors is in this fucking loop of Groundhog Day, he can't stop the old man dying because death 
is part of human existence and that's pure fucking Buddhism. So eventually what happens is he becomes a decent person. His daily loop of Groundhog Day, he becomes to he comes to accept that this is how things are now. He's going to wake up at 6 o'clock every morning and it's going to be the exact same day but he can dedicate himself to improving the lives of every single person in the town through acts of genuine empathy and compassion. And then through this, Andy McDowell's character, who he's been trying to crack onto all along in the loop, she ends up falling in love with him because he's not trying. He's being an authentic, compassionate, decent person who finds meaning in compassion with other human beings and helping other human beings and without even trying then she is attracted to him because in the script she represents integrity and purity so it's like through compassion love finds him love that's what it is she represents love pure unselfish love and that's kind of how the film ends. He then wakes up one morning and the loop is broken. And it's not Groundhog Day again. Even though he's lived 30 years in this painful loop through compassion, he's free of the loop. And that echoes many fucking things. That's where I see a lot of Flann O'Brien. Flann O'Brien's book, The Third Policeman, is about, is about someone trapped in purgatory. And the book starts how it ends. The character goes on this mad fucking journey throughout this entire book. And it ends with the same lines that it starts. To let the reader know that the character in the book is on a purgatory loop. And they must continue this weird, strange journey over and over again because they're trapped in purgatory. In Buddhism, there's the concept of uh, karma and the concept of reincarnation. That we are continually born into existence. So we're born into suffering over and over again into different bodies to continually uh, live this cycle of suffering until eventually compassion sets us free and we reach nirvana, which is to be free of suffering, you know? And Groundhog Day follows that. And ultimately, what the message of Groundhog Day is, and it's something which is an important message of Buddhism that you can apply to your fucking life and you can apply to your mental health. Compassion, love, empathy, selflessness, can free you from so much pain. It's one of the critiques that people have of Buddhism is that like, with all religions, lads, right? You have the central tenets, the philosophy of the, of the religious belief and then you have organised religion which is when humans and power structure and money take the central philosophical tenets of a religion and now make it something that's about 
rules and structure and power and it stops being religion. And there's a critique of, of Buddhism which is, it critiques the, the idea of monks living in utter seclusion, meditating all day and not actually engaging with human beings. That there, there's a critique of some elements of organised Buddhism that to be this selfish monk who lives on their own and is, is just meditating all the time, that that's not in accordance with the philosophy of Buddhism. That true Buddhism is about mindfulness and compassion and love for others. I mean, fucking same with Christianity. Christianity is just socialism. Christianity as a religion, Catholicism, Protestantism as we understand it, that's that's just human structures based on power that have been imposed on it that has nothing to do with the... not a lot to do with the philosophical underpinnings. Islam is humility. It's about submission, submitting in humility and, and being humble. But like... Ultimately, the, the message of, of, of Groundhog Day is, is compassion and empathy and love. And it's a good one to practice if, if your mental health is in a bad way or if you're not feeling great or you're feeling a lot of anger or you're feeling jealousy or you're feeling anxiety. All of these emotions that are part of the suffering of being alive if this is part of your life you can you sit with it and you notice it but you can also like the you know the thing i said earlier about one of the four noble truths is that while suffering is an inevitable part of being alive and one of the four noble truths is suffering can be extinguished and suffering can be diminished a great way to diminish suffering is compassion love cooperation all these things suffering is kind of self-centered feeling insecure is self-centered anxiety is self-centered in that it's 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 a an internal relationship that you have with yourself it's an internal monologue if if you can reach out from that and just something as simple as truly deeply mindfully listening to another person talk about what's going on for them that alone takes you out of the internal discomfort of your own bullshit just listening and being there for another person like this Christmas for me like I'm too old to be giving a shit about fucking presents I don't think I've even got any presents and I don't give too much of a fuck. But my favourite thing this Christmas was... Buying something for my nieces and nephews that they really, really enjoyed. And... Giving that to them and seeing how happy they were. And through that act of, of giving, we'll say... It freed me then of, of my internal discomfort. Because... Being responsible for another person's happiness is a beautiful, beautiful feeling and it's it's a liberating feeling and it's a freeing feeling and there's great fucking meaning in 
kind of altruistically being compassionate to another person. There's a great sense of uh, meaning and purpose in it. And if you can, can, can include that in your day, if as part of your mental health regime, the simplest one of all, lads, and I try and practice this whenever I can, going into a shop, like if you've ever worked in the service industry, um, like my ma used to pack shelves in Duns as her job. I worked in Duns a little bit when I was a teenager if you've worked in the service industry or know people who have you'll know that it's a horrible job because people are dickheads to people who work in shops some people can be so mean and rude and and even sometimes even take pleasure in being nasty to people who work in customer service where the person working in customer service kind of has to be nice. The emotional labour of their job is smiling and politely putting up with a person being mean to them because if they don't, they could lose their job, right? So a small thing is when you go into Aldi or Dunn's or whatever the fuck to buy your groceries today or just to buy milk be genuine make a genuine connection with the person who's serving you or if you're in a restaurant and it doesn't I don't mean like breaking their boundaries and being overly nice something as simple as eye contact saying thank you and saying have a fucking lovely day and and do it from a place of, of genuine, um, come from a place of your heart, that alone, throughout your day. Because the thing is, the person working behind the counter in the service industry, if they haven't had 10 people be actually rude to them, they've had a lot of people behave as if they don't exist. And that can be the most painful. People who don't see workers behind a counter or workers who are packing shelves as as people when you go into a supermarket you're surrounded by products and it's this what i was talking about earlier this commodification this idea that consumption brings happiness and you walk into this space with all these products and all these choices and it's an unreal feeling of happiness 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 if i buy this if i buy that and sometimes without thinking of it you don't see the people working in the shop as human beings. They're just other commodities. They're just other things that are around the products. And we ignore them. But the people working in the shop notice that they're being ignored. And it's a really fucking awful feeling of rejection. To not have someone make eye contact. To have someone have a, a financial transaction to take their groceries. And to not recognise that the person exists. So a little small thing like that, making a small genuine connection with a person working in a shop and saying, I hope you have a good day, thank you so much for that, and doing it in a genuine fashion. That's the type of daily compassionate thing that you can bring into your life to have that sense of meaning, 
that genuinely improves your environment and then selflessly improves your life. Do you get me? So that's what that's what Groundhog Day is about, and that's why I think my hot take that it's based on the tenets of uh, Buddhism, which, like I said, like fucking Uber. Yes, it's my original hot take, but other cons have gotten it as well. So I'm not robbing them. All right, God bless. Eighty fucking minutes. I I wanted this to be a short one. Go fuck yourselves, you pricks. Only joking. Have a lovely, have a lovely fucking a lovely week, and have self-compassion and have compassion for your neighbour and everything will be grand.